actually realize, hey, this is why I became a doctor in the first place. I'm doing stuff here that I really trained for and wanted to do my whole career. And I'm on one of these expeditions and I'm actually doing it now. This is what I trained my whole life for. So I think it's a, an amazing opportunity. Welcome to the World Extreme Medicine podcast. Um, my name is Bhagavandeep Singh. I'm honored to be the resident ophthalmologist for World Extreme Medicine. And today I'm even more honored to have with us um, a very experienced ophthalmologist um, who I am very privileged to call um, a friend, a teacher, a mentor, and a genuinely all around excellent guy, uh, Mr. Jeremy Joseph, a consultant ophthalmic surgeon. Um, who uh, will be talking to us today about his, I say, adventures and expeditions in cataract surgery and ophthalmology um, fairly, you know, across the globe, really. Um, Mr. Jeremy Joseph is um, a consultant ophthalmologist um, who began his medical school training in 1977. He then conducted his ophthalmology training at the Royal London Hospital in Barts and the Royal Free and Moorfields. Um, he was consult, uh, appointed as a consultant in 1994, um, but interestingly, just before he started his post, the whole eye department resigned, which will be something we'll be talking about. Um, and he then continued his post at the Central Middlesex Hospital. Mr. Joseph retired from practice in 2018 with the intention of continuing to work abroad for charities. And it is through that how we met um, and I was really lucky that I was able to go with Mr. Joseph um, to Bolivia in October of 2022, where he trained me in manual small incision cataract surgery, which is something we don't get trained in in the UK. So I was very lucky to have that. And he has made me um, independent, um, helped me become an independent surgeon in that um, methodology. I still have a lot to learn. and. I, you know, we think, we thought it was a really good idea to get Jeremy on the podcast um, for our audience because Jeremy, I, I think, encapsulates everything that WEM stands for in, in terms of taking medicine out there and taking our skills and our, you know, our humanity out to the world where people have low resources and where we can actually use our hands on to make a big difference. So Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on and giving us your time. Thank you, Pav. It's yeah, a pleasure to have you back. Thank you. Our pleasure as well. Um, so we spoke about, um, before we get onto the expedition stuff, I remember when you sent me your bio, um, I found that quite interesting. Tell us what happened when uh, you, you were appointed as a consultant back in 94. Well, I was appointed at Edgware Hospital and uh, the interview actually didn't go all that well because they said to me they weren't absolutely sure whether there was going to be a job or not, but would I like to continue with the interview anyway? And I, I thought maybe this was just like a kind of test to see how resilient I was, and I wasn't really sure whether they were being genuine or not. Anyway, the interview proceeded, and a couple of days later I was told, well, actually there was a job and I was appointed. But then a few weeks later I was phoned up by one of my uh, co-consultants, to be, if you like, and she told me that the whole department had resigned, which was a bit of a shock to the system. 
But I think one of the things it did teach me is a little bit more resilience and uh, perhaps an expectation that things don't always go according to plan. And I certainly think that that's come in handy with some of the expedition medicine that I've done ever since. That's interesting. Yeah, not, not the ideal start to a consultant post. Um, but no, not really. What you, what you mentioned, what you mentioned um, goes on really nicely to what we're going to talk about today. So that um, uncertainty really, I guess, underpins a lot of expeditions. Um, how did you get started in the world of expedition ophthalmology? Well, again, it was something fairly unexpected because I was a senior registrar just about to finish my uh, junior doctor training at the Royal Free Hospital. And I was approached by one of the consultants who was due to go to South America, to Brazil, on an expedition. But she was pregnant and uh, felt that because she'd have to take anti-malarial tablets and so forth, that uh, this was not a good time to go on one of these remote expeditions and asked me if I wanted to go. Again, this just came out of the blue and I thought well, it sounds like a great idea. And uh, not long after that, I ended up uh, in a place called Santarem on the Amazon River. Um, and this was my first expedition abroad. And it was, you know, real eye-opener, if you excuse the pun. It was a, a fantastic opportunity to actually see some ophthalmology out there in a place that um, really didn't normally do eye surgery. And uh, really, that was the start of a, of a great thing for me. It was really a tremendous opportunity. Okay, so you were a senior registrar near the end of training. Um, how old were you roughly and what did you do out there? I was, I was about 34 years old, if I remember correctly. And I, I worked with a group of American ophthalmologists who all came from Memphis, Tennessee. I, I thought they'd be Elvis lookalikes, actually. Um, but they were a great bunch of guys. And it, for me, it was a bit of a revelation because I was, if you like, the most junior of the whole team, but not that junior. And I, I, I felt I sort of held my own and I felt that I could actually operate at much the same level as these other guys. And I suppose it was a little bit of an awakening as a surgeon that, um, hey, this, this is actually something I can do and I think I can enjoy it and I think I can make a contribution. And from from that moment, really, I, I, I decided to continue to do these kind of expeditions as, as much as I could during my uh, professional career. And, you know, I've managed to do that ever since. So it was a, a great opportunity. And do you think we all need that? kind of process at some point in our stages as surgeons where we, we sometimes think when we may not be good enough but just the circumstance pushes us and we realize actually i can do this and then you see a whole new world open up to you i, I think it's very good for everybody i'm i'm not sure that literally every surgeon needs it because there are obviously some types of surgery that don't lend themselves to this type of expedition but Ophthalmology, and in particular cataract surgery, is ideal for this sort of expedition type of medicine because it's a, a fairly self-contained condition which you know, doesn't need intensive hospitalization or intensive care or anything like that. And as long as there's some degree of follow-up, I think it's a, it's a safe procedure mm. to do uh, in, in the field like this. So I, I yeah, certainly yeah. think it, for, for ophthalmologists, it's something that it's very important to do. 
and I and certainly coming try to back encourage from your... everybody to do it. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And I've I've got that vibe off you from the two trips we've had, which is it's really it's very positive. It's very encouraging. Um, when you came back from your first trip, what would you say were what were the main learning points you had? Well, it, it was learning that I could hold my own as a surgeon, uh, learning that mm. the skills that I'd learned up to that point were actually something that was really extremely valuable and that I could make a contribution to um, to treating blindness in people. Sometimes I think as a junior doctor, in fact, even as a senior doctor, you, you sort of wonder, what are you doing? You know, um, the whole uh, NHS can get you down, the whole bureaucracy and so on. Whereas when you go on one of these trips, you actually realize that your surgical abilities can really make a tremendous difference to people. And it, you're in a position where you personally can actually do the procedure. You're not working through some other kind of charity where you have no idea what's happening to your charitable donation. Here, you personally, with your own hands, are delivering it. And I, I think that's a very nice position to be in. That's really true. Um, it's very tangible, I guess, the difference you can make because you do it with your own hands. It is. And you, you can see people being led in who are blind and a day or two walk, later walking out under their own steam, able to see where they're going. And you, you, you together with the team there, I mean, it's not just you yourself, but mm. with, your, with the help of the team, you've been able to make a tremendous difference to that individual's life. Mm. And you mentioned the NHS bureaucracy. I, I sometimes call it the NHS conveyor belt. Um, you just find you're on this perpetual cycle. Um, and yeah, when you go out, you, you really see it's a real self, sense of fulfillment, um, what you can do out there and the, the difference you can make. And that really stays with you, doesn't it? It does. I think it also, to be honest, helps uh, when you look again at the NHS and you, you realise it. It is actually a marvellous institution. And the fact that yeah. people can get free care and not have to worry about finance is an amazing thing. Many, many countries in the world would love to have a system, you know, a tenth as good as the NHS. Doesn't mean to say that when you're working in the NHS, you feel like that all the time. Yeah. And the, yeah. the effect of having been on one of these trips perhaps only lasts for about 10 minutes after you get back. But nevertheless, it's a tremendous uh, feeling to have. And uh, you, you realize that yeah. actually it's not so bad at home in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, re I remember, and you obviously have much more experience, but the, when I've come back from just the two, I've, you know, I thought we're so lucky to have the NHS because the people out there have nothing, don't they? They just really have, if, unless they have a few thousand dollars or whatever pounds in their pocket, they, they don't have a chance to get treated. Absolutely. I, recently, mm -hmm. I, I was in uh, Liberia and her team operated on one man who'd been blind for seven years because of cataract. And he, he, he was asked, why didn't you have your cataract surgery before? And he said, I just didn't have the money. Uh, I just couldn't afford that. It was a few hundred dollars, perhaps $500 in, in the capital city for cataract surgery. And uh, he was living off, you know, a dollar and a half a day, and he just could not raise the money for surgery. So this guy was, 
needlessly blind, if you like, for seven years just because of not being able to afford an operation. Mm. And, and then I think that when you had many worse cases than that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, when you came back after your first expedition, um, what? How do you feel, and what did it? You know, how did things develop with you from there? Well, I I wanted to continue doing this kind of work, but I didn't really know at that stage how to proceed. And then, just by chance, I happened to see an advert in a in a sort of ophthalmic magazine uh, for. An, an, a group called C International, which stands for Surgical Eye Expeditions International. They're a group that was founded in, in the 70s by an American ophthalmologist based in Santa Barbara in California. And they have now many hundreds of ophthalmologists who volunteer to do expeditions in 50 to 60 countries around the world. And I've worked with them ever since. I joined up with them and uh, decided to try to do more or less one expedition a year with them. I, not all the expeditions I've done have been through that organization, but the majority have mm. been. So you, yeah, you start, your first expedition was many about 33, 34, and then yes. you, you obviously did some, you did some more and then how did you fit that in around your your professional life as an ophthalmologist in the UK, I guess your family life as well, and expeditions. How did you balance all that out? Well, it wasn't difficult in that it was just most of the expeditions were about a week or so, maybe 10 days in terms of traveling there and back, but a week of surgery. Mm -hmm. So talking about a 10-day leave period, uh, sometimes it was study leave, sometimes it was holiday, just a combination of that. But I didn't find that that in particular was terribly difficult to organize and by and large my colleagues on the NHS were very understanding and in, in fact some of them I managed to persuade to come along on various expeditions that I did so um, mm. I think I managed to spread the word a little bit but it Lovely. was a, it was a good years, opportunity to yeah. actually do something different to your literally your day-to-day -day job your day job yeah that's so true um, what experiences uh, or expeditions stand out for you over, over the years? Well, I think uh, perhaps the one that I undertook to Papua New Guinea was the most challenging expedition that I did. Firstly, it was the furthest one away from the UK. I think it took about 30 hours of flying or something like that to get there. Um, and then once in the country, I had to do about three more plane trips to get to the site where I was operating a place called Wewak, which I'd never heard of before, but it's where the, the Second World War in the Pacific area ended. And uh, I was working with an ophthalmologist who started off, but then after one day he announced to me that he was leaving and he was going off to a conference in Kathmandu. And was this okay? So I was basically left there as the only surgeon doing the surgery, and he left his main scrub nurse with me. But she then uh, got malaria and basically was in a, in a pretty dire state, lying on a, on a table in the, next to the operating theater and sort of giving advice, but delirious and in a pretty bad way. And I thought, well, things couldn't really get any worse. But then the water supply failed 
and the autoclaves wouldn't work. And uh, I just thought, well, you know, what else can happen? Um, anyway, we did manage to do quite a lot of surgery in the end, but it was certainly a very challenging expedition. Um, actually, they've all been pretty easy in comparison to that one. Um, when about them, was this trip to Papua New Guinea? I, I think when, that when was, was this? actually my second expedition after Brazil, okay. Santorem, Brazil. Okay. I think it was my second one. I, um, after that, I didn't go quite so far away. I tended to try to restrict, restrict my trips to African countries and uh, places that were, if you like, one, one flight away rather than mm -hmm. five or six flights away. Okay. Yeah, fair point. I've been to some um, interesting places, which uh, unfortunately some of them can't really go back to at the moment, such as oh, Belarus, okay. Burma. I've been to Haiti about five or six times, but at the moment I don't think I'd go back to Haiti in a hurry. Not unless you want to get kidnapped. <laughs> um, yes. And... Uh, I've also been to Liberia recently, which uh, Liberia has a very, very traumatic history, although it's settled down a great deal now. Mm. Um, what was your best experience? What stands out for you or a, a collection of experiences? You know, most of the trips have been very good in their own way. I can't say that one trip has been exceptionally wonderful. Just all, all the trips, different things happen. I met wonderful people, uh, made associations with a number of ophthalmologists around the world and continued going on trips with some of these ophthalmologists, uh, met some amazing patients, always had interesting experiences. And I wouldn't say really that I could pick out one particular trip that was that's different and really amazing. They've all been good. Mm. Um, and in terms of some learning points from your, you know, your years of expeditions, what have you picked up? What would you say has, has changed you as a surgeon, as a person even? Well, on some of the trips, I've actually learned a tremendous amount. Uh, I, I did one trip to Bangladesh where I was Suppose I actually went with Orbis, the Flying Eye Hospital, although it was a ground-based mm. mission, so the, the aero, I didn't go on the actual surgical aeroplane. Um, and in, in that country, I was my job was to teach the, the doctors there phacoemulsification, which is one type of cataract surgery. But they taught me manual small incision cataract surgery, which was in about 2006, I think. And uh, th that is now the standard method of uh, manual cataract surgery. And it was a tremendous opportunity for me. As, as much as I taught them, they taught me. And so I learned a great deal and I've been able to use that surgical technique ever since. Um, so I, I've learned a lot. I think I've taught other people a lot. And, and the process still continues because I think however experienced you may be, there's always more to learn and there's always something that you've never seen before or some syndrome you've never seen or things like that yeah, things you've just, learned just about to clarify your whole for, career uh, and you, yeah you suddenly might see a case that you you know you spend your entire career learning about things and suddenly you you come across 
a case of that rare condition. And it's, it's a, you know, it's very interesting. I think it's part of the fascination of medicine that uh, you still can keep learning, um, however old or experienced you might be. Uh, to clarify for our listeners, so um, phacal mastification is largely conducted in the West. What we do here in the UK and the US is when we we kind of mash up the lens while still in its in its place in the um, structure called the capsule. Um, whereas with the manual small incision cataract surgeries, we're taking the lens out whole, so it requires a different approach um, and we you know a different type of incision, which is self sealing. Um, do you want to just mention anything about that, Jeremy? I, I think the introduction of this technique of manual small incision cataract surgery has made a big difference because normally you don't need sutures after the surgery. Sutures are quite expensive and they're also time-consuming to put in. So this development of a purely manual technique that's not dependent on high-tech equipment has been a tremendous benefit for underdeveloped countries and has allowed um, much more rapid, safer surgery than the previous techniques which relied on a much bigger incision. But the advantage, if you like, is that you're not dependent on high-tech equipment, which is generally very expensive, very sensitive and prone to breaking down and needs servicing and maintenance, which is often something that is not available in mm. underdeveloped countries. How much does a, a FACO cost um, compared to how much an, a manual small incision M6 costs? Um, and can we illustrate that to our listeners in terms of the, the big difference and how M6 makes a difference in the developing world? Well, I, I think it depends where you are in the world, but M6 surgery or manual small incision cataract surgery costs something of the order of $100 a case. In some countries, it is actually considerably less than that. But if you think about it as, as $100 a case, that's all in with a lens, with the um, antibiotics, everything included. Whereas for a M6, for a FACO emulsification surgery, the capital outlay for the machinery alone, you're talking about something between 50 and 100,000 US dollars for the machinery. And the disposable equipment that you use in every case is at least some hundreds of dollars. So you, you might be talking about three, four hundred dollars per case, if not more than that, mm. when you factor in the, the machinery versus $100 or less for a manual small incision case. So there's a very big difference in cost. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, coming back to the, the, you know, talking about expedition ophthalmology, what would you say are the types of skills and qualities an individual needs for this type of work? And what kind of surgeon or uh, what kind of person does should one you know, try to be to be useful in this setting? Well, I think you have to be quite an understanding person as a surgeon and try not to get rattled when things go wrong because you can bet on it. There are going to be <laughs> lots and lots of things that don't go according to plan. 
from your flights getting out there, luggage getting lost, um, equipment issues, not enough equipment, um, problems with the staff. You might find that the, the staff whom you work with are not skilled in cataract surgery or not that, uh, don't speak your language. You may not be able to converse with them. So you have to be a very adaptable and keep cool and uh, understanding. Not to say that I'm always like that. I think as I've got older and uh, more experienced, I think I've calmed down a little bit and can cope with uh, adverse circumstances a little bit easier than I did when I was younger. But I think it's a, it's a good opportunity to examine yourself and, and uh, try to learn some of these lessons for your own practice in the UK about being a bit cooler about things, not being too pedantic about staff, being a little bit understanding and trying to work as a team. It's all very important. You're not going to be able to do the surgery by yourself. You have to work with other people to accomplish it. So it uh, certainly makes you more adaptable. But I think it's something that many, many ophthalmologists could do. Um, I don't think you have to be a specially gifted kind of surgeon. I think if you've trained in the NHS and you've gone through the ranks and you're a consultant ophthalmologist, you would be easily capable of doing this kind of surgery with assistance and be able mm. to get into it and to be able to make a worthwhile contribution. That's um, really good lessons. And I think something I need to learn as well, because I've <laughs> found myself that you do feel the frustrations um, at times, don't you? And But you need to realize, um, you need to have that self-talk with yourself to yeah. kind of put yourself back in focus. Well, ophthalmology is one of these subjects that actually um, encourages um, people to be very pedantic and uh, accurate and uh really really concentrate on small details to be if you like an obsessive compulsive neurotic um it's it's something that actually is encouraged in ophthalmology but it's not something that is necessarily an ideal personality trait to have in um in general but specifically when you do one of these kind of um adventures or expeditions because uh not everybody necessarily in 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 enjoys that kind of behavior and it's, it's something you have to adapt a little bit it's not to say you should be lax or uh, do bad surgery but you have to be able to adapt to the environment in which you work and we often work with other ophthalmologists in these countries and you have to be able to adapt to their way of working and uh, fit in with what they do it's it's no good sort of imposing what you do back home but you have to try to help them to um, encourage their surgery locally. Okay, and and I guess drawing everything, bringing everything together, and I know you've touched upon it earlier. But why do you think this? Why do you think this type of work is important? And the second question onto that is: If you hadn't done this, could you imagine your career or your life without having done all of these? expeditions 
Well, I, I think the reason we should do it is to be get able to give something back. I think we are extremely privileged in the West. We've had, uh, well, I, I know I've had a, you know, amazingly easy life in comparison to many of the people that I meet on these expeditions. We had the benefit of financial security, um, education, security and living standards, food and so forth. And I think by making a very small sacrifice, you can actually give back some of these advantages that you've had in your life. And I think it's pretty incumbent upon everybody to, to contribute in some way. Um, maybe it's not everybody's cup of tea to go out on these kind of expeditions, but you can certainly contribute to organizations that do do this kind of surgery. And if you feel capable, I think it's actually a wonderful way of adding to your career, doing something good for mankind and giving back some of the great advantages that you've had in your own lifetime. Whether it's a hard thing to know what I would have done if I had never done uh, these kind of expeditions. Um, it's certainly something I've been interested in for a long time. I mean, I guess I would have done more work on the NHS, which is also extremely valuable. I mean, you do make a big difference to people on the NHS. Um, but I, I think for me, it's been an in, invaluable addition to my career. And it's certainly something that I've, I've really enjoyed. I think it's about as much fun as you can have as an ophthalmologist. And uh, mm -hmm. while you make a good contribution, you, you have a great time. And uh, it, it tends to make you, it, it opens your eyes to the speciality. You actually realize, hey, this is why I became a doctor in the first place. I'm doing stuff here that I really trained for and wanted to do my whole career. And I'm on one of these expeditions and I'm actually doing it now. This is what I trained my whole life for. So I think it's a, an amazing opportunity. Yeah, because you can, you realize you actually make a difference. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. You're wonderful. Um, I think that's a very good note to summarize on and draw things to a conclusion there. Um, because the World Extreme Medicine audience is a very broad audience, um, but a lot of our listeners are um, doctors in their F1, F2 years, um, you know, new medics trying to figure out the path for them, the specialty they want to join. And certainly myself, as a, when I was a junior, this aspect of ophthalmology isn't something that's readily um, known. Uh, people aren't particularly aware that this is a something that they can do. And I hope our discussion today has highlighted that. And there's a, there's a really big difference that can be made. Um, and ophthalmology is a very good route um, to allow you to do that um, and to make a difference in the world. Um, would you agree, Jeremy? And I know there's obviously many, many specialties, but I do find just with with sight, with blindness, with cataract surgery, the simplicity of it um, and how many, the, the volume you can get through on an expedition can really make a difference to small communities. Yep, absolutely. I think you've summarized it very well. 
there, there are lots of other specialities, obviously, that can make a huge difference. People who do, for example, cleft lifts, lips, cleft, cleft mm-hmm. lips and cleft palates, um, club foot surgery, things like that make an enormous difference as well. Um, I think mm-hmm. we're very lucky as ophthalmologists in that we can use our skills to do a relatively simple, relatively straightforward operation and yet make such an amazing difference between somebody being blind for the rest of their life and somebody being able to see normally and be able to look after themselves and to lead an independent life after a cataract operation. So it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to have as a surgeon. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, that's a great way to end things. Um, with those words, I would, I'd like to thank you for your time. Um, and uh, we'll meet up soon, I hope. Um, for, the, for the audience, um, you can always get in touch with us here at World Extreme Medicine um, if you want to find out about other you know, opportunities to go on expeditions, if you want to find out about the opportunities you can um, obtain with some of the organizations we've mentioned today, such as C International, SEE International. Um, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. Um, really appreciate thank you, it. Thank you, It's been and a pleasure. We'll hopefully be seeing you soon. And uh, we'll probably go out somewhere soon. Uh, <laughs> probably South America right. next, and I look forward to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the episode. Please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to. Please also head over to the World Extreme Medicine website where you can find more engaging content on extreme medicine webinars and indeed the collection of courses from our global network, including humanitarian, disaster relief, expedition, space, military, tactical and performance medicine. Thanks again.